3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. It is 7am on the 19th of October. You're joined here by me, Genevieve. I've got Fung and Carnegie and Evie. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 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 How is everyone doing this morning? Good. Um, a bit colder than I expected this morning, but we're doing pretty well. I think everyone's sort of in a better mood this morning as well. <laughs> yeah. um, with impending lockdown being eased. Um, yeah. We have to discuss the elephant in the room. Yes. Which is, the COVID, <laughs> which is that the Melbourne, the our like... 70th something day in lockdown I think Carnegie was saying earlier is going to be ending on Friday or on sorry on Thursday at 11 59 p.m yeah like (laughs) Thursday 11 59 everyone's going to be lining up just waiting to get into Kmart oh my yeah (laughs) sorry those scenes from New South Wales of people just going straight to Kmart and just like (laughs) I kind of relate I love late night Kmart, so I get it. Everyone just wants to do something that's not in their house. So if everyone's getting real desperate and just going straight for it. For sure, (laughs) yeah. Um, How does everyone else feel? Kind of mixed feelings. Mm. Yeah, my first um, instinct was to get extremely excited and then it was like four minutes later I crashed Mm -hmm. and went into an anxiety spiral. So that's kind of where I'm at in between (laughs) those two extremes too. Yeah. Um, I was listening to um, the radio yesterday morning and I think um, ABC had someone, uh, they were interviewing someone and they were saying that I think they're going to see a lot of people develop some form of, I guess, mild form of maybe like agoraphobia or something. Yeah, Um, social anxiety. (laughs) Social anxiety. So I... I relate to that as well, but um, it will be good to, yeah, see people again and um, have things open up a little bit, which mm. will be nice. Yeah, I think if you're feeling like a little bit tentative about the lockdown ending, you're definitely not alone. Yeah. I mean, mm. I'm kind of... Very normal. Yeah, I'm yeah. in there with you, Carnegie. I felt immediately stressed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just like, oh, so now I have to think about more things. No, no. <laughs> Which is a very selfish thing to think about. <laughs> oh, no. I, like, even just thinking about, like, trying to organise, like, you know, meeting up with your friends and stuff like that, like, it, just in a normal level, it's fi- like it's a bit of admin to sort of do mm. that, but then suddenly you have to do it with, like, five different groups who want, like, you know, yeah. the attention and it's like... I just need to breathe. Yeah. And <laughs> also, I'm just like still worried. Yeah. And it feels so mechanical as well. Mm. Just booking a week in advance <laughs> to like get into somewhere and then having your two hours yeah. in, a, in a place and then getting kicked out and then 
going home. <laughs> I think the funniest thing that I saw, though, which is, I think, emblematic of everyone at the moment, is, like, some guy was tweeting, um, I just witnessed um, my friend group accidentally, like, letting someone who was left out of the 10 people or less booking. Um, and then there was, like, a group chat and then there was a side chat and, like, screen caps of chats just being posted and people oh, feeling no. left out. It's, like, my worst nightmare. No. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? It's just this is just what we have to live with now. And it's, like, I'm sorry. I don't mean it in a bad way. It's just mm. how we're doing things now. How sad. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> awful. Um, something that Jacob uh, from Monday Breakfast mentioned yesterday we were also talking about the same thing and and sharing how we each had mixed feelings he reminded everyone uh to continue practicing best hygiene yes um so washing your hands using hand sanitizer if you can't get any soap and um asking for consent before hugging mm, i think yeah. is really important um, i think it's important in general oh totally yeah. To- yes 100 percent. but especially now yeah <laughs> i think you know if you haven't seen someone for such a long time your instinct is just to go in but i but i imagine there there are a lot of people out there who don't feel comfortable with that um level of contact yet or for whatever reason they yeah don't anyway it's mm. It's everyone's choice whether or not they want to be hugged. So just remember to ask before you hug your friends and family. And also don't feel too pressured about, like, going too hard in going out as well because, yeah, be easy on yourself. You're not necessarily going to feel, like, 100% ready to go out if you don't want to. I think, Evie, you called it a soft launch. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Do a soft launch this weekend. (laughs) I feel... I feel attracted to going into a deeper lockdown (laughs) (laughs) and then emerging yeah like don't go to chapel street if you're not feeling it this weekend i I doubt anything like anyway but um yeah i'm not going to circuit this weekend just leaving it for november (laughs) (laughs) um all right we should probably get stuck into what's coming up on the show also i should mention the weather which is going to be a light shower or two at a maximum temperature of 18 degrees mm. so manageable it's not too cold not too gross <laughs> <laughs> um but bring a umbrella but coming up we've got a jam-packed show this morning uh, fung you've got an interview coming up earlier on yes yeah, so first up we're going to listen back to an interview that malika did with Laura on Thursday breakfast on 7th of October which discusses they discuss the impacts of COVID on on eating disorders so just a content warning there and we'll also give you some details uh, a little later on um, on people places you can contact if if you're having a hard time with that Um, afterwards though I'm going to be speaking with Randall Egan, who is a queer youth worker with the Youth Support and Advocacy Service, and we're going to talk about the pop-up clinic at 100 Drummond Street, which is, uh, yeah, planning to um, prioritise giving vaccinations to people from the LGBTIQ plus community as part of their Rainbow Vaccination Week. Uh, we'll also be speaking with Anya Saravanan from... It's Not a Compliment, um, which is a grassroots organisation fighting for the rights of everyone to be safe in public spaces. And coming up just at the end of the show, I'm going to be speaking to Hana Asafiri, who is uh, one of the people that run 
the Moroccan Soup Bar in Fitzroy, an absolute institution here in Melbourne. And they're going to be running a pop-up COVID-19 vaccination clinic later on today. And we're going to be talking about that and the new campaign Sister Hub. All right. Well, before we get stuck into the news headlines, we're just going to play a quick announcement. You're listening to 3CR. Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways, retracing Melbourne's queer footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne, combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in queer history and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter. All right, we're going to jump into some news headlines for the 19th of October. Does someone want to start us off with um, how Australia has stopped making vaccines? Yeah, um, so Australia has decided recently to uh, stop producing vaccines, um, which is interesting because there's been a call from uh, neighbouring countries with obviously less uh, from low socioeconomic sort of backgrounds, much poorer countries who are urging Australia to keep making the vaccines. Um, And, you know, there's there's countries very close by who are not going to reach a 70% vax rate until after 2030, which is what's been projected. And obviously this could lead to global, uh, you know, health risk and, People are warning that it could lead to more mutations in the virus, and it's just not a good idea for anybody. Um, and Australia is being urged to keep producing the vaccines and donate them to these yeah. countries. It's just shocking. Which makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, like you know, we've got our neighbours um, in the in the Pacific who have really low vaccination rates, and we have the ability to produce these vaccines yeah. at you know at a pretty low cost to be able to give them, give donate them to them. Um, it's also unfortunate, like. We've reached the sort of what the promised supply was in Australia, but um, the way in which uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine has been misinformed, mislabeled, even including by chief health officers in this country is, you know, appalling and our neighbours shouldn't have to suffer as a result of that production being stopped. Yeah, and it's just this weird mentality of, oh, we're good, so, like, Mm -hmm. we're going to stop. That's not kind of how a global pandemic or a virus works. It's, yeah. You know, it's not going to be any easier for Australians if our, all our neighbouring countries are still struggling. Yeah, there's an ongoing call to, like, be able to share the patents for COVID vaccines to countries um, which need them the most and to be able to, you know, produce them without, um, you know, completely negating profit, which yeah. is the way it should be. Uh, in fact, just this week... Um, the Pope even said, like, called for those patents to be shared widely and for vaccines to be donated. So we're we're at the point where you know people really have to be pushed to help their neighbours, which is yeah, mm. interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, and then some pretty um, devastating COVID news that 
we just that I saw yesterday, um, COVID has actually spread to the Park Hotel, um, and three of the refugees there being held have tested positive, with over 40 still awaiting test results. Um, as we know, many of the men there are already quite medically vulnerable and have been evacuated from Nauru on medical grounds. Um, they have there's men with chronic asthma. There's a man there with burns on more than half his body, including inhalation burns. Um, so, you know, the, while the vaccine ha- has been available to them, the government says, only 13 people um, in alternate places of detention, including the Park Hotel, have been fully vaccinated. Um, Refugees in Park yeah. have also been told, um, you know, varying information about whether they're able to get the vaccine and have been, you know, told from other, you know, guards and that sort of thing that if they get the vaccine that they'll be deported, which is... Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's understandable. Like, they're already, you know, reluctant to, you know, r- raise the alarm to get medical assistance anyway um, within detention. Uh, a lot of them feel like they can't get the medical care they need to. Of course. Yeah. Um, so hopefully um, there's a s- somewhat of a good outcome there. Um, we'll provide an update when we can. Mm. Um, and also the Australia signs the UN statement to stop invasive surgeries on intersex children. Um, which is great. Which is great, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, you know, um, this was a joint statement which was introduced by Austria, which has called on nations to take measures to combat violence and discrimination against intersex people and develop policies in close consultation with those affected so they can ensure accountability, reverse discriminatory laws, and provide victims with access to remedies. Um, Yeah, so Australia has signed on, which is really, really great, um, that, you know, this is a priority for Australia to protect the rights of intersex people. Mm -hmm. In related news as well, um, there is an Australian government survey, uh, sorry, a petition to um, ask uh, the federal government to make general gender-affirming and gender-reassignment services eligible for Medicare benefits, um, as these surgeries are essential for mental health and well-being of people in the LGBTQI community. That uh, petition has currently reached 136,692 signatures, which is amazing. It's on the Australian government website. We'll put a link in the show notes. It has nine days left, so hopefully we can make it to 150,000 signatures. Yes. Um, I also just wanted to mention, uh, because I only just saw this news headline last night and um, sent it to the group chat and kind of said, oh, this kind of swept under the rug for me. But it's um, women escaping domestic violence will get access to $5,000 payments from this week. So that's women and children leaving a violent relationship will, from Tuesday, have access to the one-off payment in a new trial scheme. Uh, the support will include up to $1,500 in cash with the remainder of the money available for goods and services or direct payments of bonds, school fees or other essential items to help establish a safe home. Uh, this is part of the escaping violence payment that was announced in the May budget as part of the $1.1 million, sorry, billion women's safety package of programs. Uh, yeah, I don't know a lot about it in great detail in terms of how it works or like... 
I read yeah. a, a little bit of detail about it last night. Mm. Um, the eligibility includes financial stress and evidence of domestic violence, such as a referral from a domestic violence service provider with a risk assessment and safety plan, an ADO court order or a police report. Um, you know, it, it. I think it remains to be seen how that sort of eligibility requirements pan out. Hopefully it's not too restrictive and women are able to access it without too much grief. Um, but, yeah, like the the actual sort of... Uh, the the amount of the payment seems like it's a you know really beneficial thing, but yeah, well I guess we'll uh, see how women find um, sorry anyone finds using this system. Um, it's a two year trial of the payment scheme, so that's just to assess demand and the eligibility criteria, and the needs of each of the specific cohorts that access that payment. Yeah, it'll be an interesting um, initiative, and I mean as you said just getting the information out there and making it easy for people to access these payments, I guess will be the key thing with all of this. Um, all right. Was that it for news headlines? Cool. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to a track. Now I don't have TikTok. <laughs> what? <laughs> I- <laughs> Like you made it through lockdown without getting TikTok. That's impressive. It's something, no, it's something that I have, like, I don't want another thing. Yeah, no, kind of the same. It distracts me. And also I feel like the boat has sailed. Like it's gone. I'm like, it's fine. But I like keep on discovering all these, not discovering really. I feel like Spotify has really tailored my, the algorithm towards these like TikTok songs. And I discover these songs and I'm like, oh, this is such a great song. Like, Awesome. And then my housemates would be like, that's just a TikTok song. <laughs> just be like so late to the party. Anyway, I had this occurrence. And I know that Carnegie, you played a Pink Panthers song a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And she's, she's so cool. <laughs> she's an English-based musician um, that pretty much got famous for making music and um, putting it on TikTok. And a lot of her music is featured on people's TikToks, uh, but she's a songwriter and record producer, and I think this is a really popular one. So um, sorry if you've heard it a billion times on TikTok, <laughs> but it's called Passion. So hope you enjoy it.
Five million people amidst a war zone are creating a new society based on principles that are near the hearts of many radicals in Australia. Welcome to AANES, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, formerly known as Rojava. Thursday midday to 1pm, join me, Joseph Toscano, for a 10-part series of conversations with members of a civil diplomacy centre in the city of Posts from Ennis, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, a flourishing radical experiment in direct democracy in the midst of a war zone, as part of 3CR's Acting Up series on Thursday at midday on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. The track that you just heard before uh, that announcement was Pink Panthers with Passion. So two weeks ago, Laura joined Thursday Breakfast to talk about the impacts of COVID-19 on eating disorders and services. Laura is a clinical psychologist from NAM. They've specialised in eating disorders for over seven years through research, outreach work, support groups and as a therapist and currently work in public and private practice supporting individuals affected by eating disorders. Um, just a content warning, uh, Laura and Malika do discuss um, disordered eating and body image. So if that is hard for you to listen to, please feel free to tune uh, back into our show in 13 minutes. Otherwise, you can also contact the Butterfly Foundation on 1800 334673. We are speaking to Laura, a clinical psychologist from Melbourne who has specialised in eating disorders for over seven years through research, outreach work, support groups and as a therapist and currently works in public and private practice supporting individuals affected by eating disorders. Hey, Laura, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Nah, super excited. Well, not super excited because it is a pretty <laughs> dreary topic. Um, I guess we'll just jump right into it. I, there has been a significant rise in people presenting to eating disorder support services since the start of the pandemic in Australia, including more complex and severe presentations. What do you think is specific or special about this period that is making body image and disordered eating issues more present or even more exacerbated? Mm, yeah, that's um, that's a fantastic question. So, because when we think about disordered eating, body image, and eating disorders, they're really complex mental and physical illnesses and concerns. And of course, they're not something that is at all a choice or born out of anything to do with vanity. Um, and they can affect anyone. And as you said, unfortunately, they're becoming more common and severe and complex. And there are a lot of factors that can and have come into play with this. And honestly, I think it's kind of hard to think of a scenario that could have prevented as many societal risk factors for disordered eating at once as yeah. the pandemic has. Um, like over the past 18 months, we've had, you know, really widespread social isolation, loss of routine, stress, grief, disconnect from support, and huge amounts of really harmful socio-cultural pressure and diet culture regarding body and exercise and eating during the lockdown. Yeah. Um, we couple that with things like, you know, food scarcity and insecurity, that clearly just to leave the house has been planned exercise or grocery shopping, that there's so much social media use which has really soared and mm. even things like seeing ourselves on camera in video conferences more, yes. which for some people has really heightened their awareness of their appearance. And um, on top of that, you know, like other mental health concerns like anxiety, trauma, stress, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, 
they've also really risen throughout the pandemic and these are things that can really often co-occur with and kind of perpetuate or compound and be implicated in disordered eating. Um, And so a lot of people, you know, have really understandably been really distressed or overwhelmed or numb and our worlds have gotten a lot smaller in a number of ways and when this is all kind of immersed with these factors that I've mentioned, this has resulted oftentimes for a lot of people in the onset or worsening of eating and exercise and body image concerns and finally like on top of that, so many of the things that might otherwise protect or keep people well have also fallen away and mm-hmm. our healthcare systems have been super overloaded, which means that although things like early detection and intervention, so, you know, catching things early, treating them early or as soon as we can, they're really important in these domains, but it's actually taking longer for people to be seen and supported, meaning that sadly, um, and this is both across metropolitan Melbourne, but also really happening in like rural, regional areas. Yeah. Um, it means that eating disorders or disordered eating and body image concerns are getting worse before they get picked up on and get treated. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I can imagine it's really hard at the moment because we are so isolated from our usual support networks or mm. our usual, like, health practitioners or stuff to, like, kind of pick up on what's going on. And there's so much, like, the narrative at the moment, like, online and amongst friends and families, like, mm. it's getting to that time of year where everyone's talking about, like, getting beach ready and summer body, like, those really unhelpful and toxic kind of narratives around it. And now we have the added pressure of, like, your post-lockdown body. And mm-hmm. it's it's just all adding up. And I guess another major factor which you mentioned is, like, last year we saw social media sites like TikTok really blow up, including all of us also using social media a lot more with all the free time we had. Is there a role for social media in exacerbating issues with body image and disordered eating? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, I think they're hitting the nail on the head with that one. So things like TikTok and Instagram and heaps of other platforms are really rife with things that can fuel disordered eating and body image concerns. Like if Mm. we kind of break it down into different sort of sections. Like in terms of content, there are, like you said, like a lot of things focused on weight loss or quote-unquote body transformation pictures. There's talk about, you know, food content, trends like, you know, calorie or food tracking, taking photos of everything you consume, sharing them online. There's heaps of misinformation about food and bodily needs, you know, recommending amounts that, you know, not even a toddler would need to survive in a day. Yeah. Um, there are accounts based purely around diets that promote disordered eating. There are these, you know, uh, alleged um, fitness and wellness influences, oh, yeah. advertisements to, you know, really harmful diet products. And, you know, these are things that people get paid to promote and things and they often come from people that might be, you know, looked up to in society um, or, you know, socioculturally. And we think like those ideals have that quote-unquote ideal body type and it's really misleading. And mm. on top of that, you know, thinking about the images that we get shown to, so often people are using body editing filters and features and body shaming content and also just a huge amount of, you know, basically trolls and bullies that just go online to criticize and tear other people down. Mm. And on top of this, like, these apps have super powerful algorithms um, that put forward a stream of suggested posts based on things like your location, your gender, your age, your yeah. social data, and then the videos and accounts that you like that you that you view or that you like or that you follow. So what can happen and what is happening is that in an incredibly short period of time, someone who has like stumbled across or searched something about food or exercise appearance could suddenly have an app feed that's like almost exclusively filled with that content. And so whether they've already got a complicated um, relationship with food or exercise or body image 
or are on the precipice of some emerging concerns or have never struggled with those things before, exposure to that content can really bring it you know, to the forefront of people's minds and quite quickly plunge them into disordered eating, negative body image and comparison and obsession. And yeah. you know, this content that we're getting in these apps, it's not normal, but it is so, so common that it's becoming normative. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's really dark and dangerous and there are a lot of research findings as well that continue to demonstrate and drive home just what I've described. Yeah. I think just as you were sharing all of that, I was reflecting on my own like Instagram explore page and look, I love looking at like cooking videos and like pictures Mm -hmm. of dogs, but I have noticed that my explore page is a lot more targeted around like health and wellness stuff and Mm -hmm. it's not something I actively search, but Yeah, it it sounds like the algorithm is really plugging us to like take in that content and understandably it, yeah, make, puts us at more risk to kind of consider all of that. And I guess on the flip side, like, are there any positives with us accessing social media more often or just in general with the content? Like, I know for myself, I find it a really useful place for community information and peer support, but have there been any like positive sides to this kind of change in the way we use social media? Yeah, I think that absolutely can and um, can be in our positives in, in how we use social media and what we see. But I think it very much comes down to, you know, like the accounts that you follow and the yeah. things that you're part of online. And so following accounts from, you know, like you said, you know, peer support or qualified and well-informed mental health professionals or organisations, that can be absolutely golden. Like these are accounts who might be, you know, if we're thinking kind of the skills that we're discussing in particular, a recovery-oriented, they're intersectional, they follow what we call like a health at every size approach, which yes. is really inclusive. They've got really well-grounded evidence backing up any information. They embrace true freedom and intuitive or joyful movement. They celebrate body diversity and they're free of any of those trends or themes that I mentioned before. And so, mm. yeah, kind of um, it can be a really good idea to, you know, have a bit of a look about, you know, at who you're following or, you know, what Instagram is suggesting to you, you know, if it's showing things that you don't actually like or that aren't good for you, you can, you know, write, you know, click that button that's like, I'm actually not interested in this post, you know, kind of retraining the algorithm a little bit, clean up your feed or even, you know, take a break from that if, um, you know, you're realising that they're maybe harming you a little bit more than they're helping you. Yeah, so it's kind of like curating your feed, as they say mm, these days. Yeah, absolutely. And what conversations do we need to be having with friends and families and even our workplaces during this pandemic around disordered eating and looking after ourselves and each other? Mm. I think, um, you know, during the pandemic and also outside of it, I think it's so important to create spaces where, you know, diet and body talk just doesn't happen and where food and exercise and appearances, you know, of ourselves and others aren't judged or conflated with character or success or failure or worth or morality and, you know, that a comment about, what someone's eating or how they look or how much they're exercising isn't, you know, used so frequently in conversation. Like, you know, that's not how I meant to, you know, greet someone like, oh, you look so X, Y, Z. Like, yeah. you know, say hello. So genuine interest in that person. Like, you know, that you care for them and value them for who they are as a person, not for, you know, how they eat, exercise or look. Um, and this can mean really, you know, being counterculture, laying down some boundaries and being mindful about what we say. But even these small changes can be just so significant in ensuring that we feel a lot safer, that the people around us feel safer and more comfortable. And, you know, some additional ways to do that can be to, um, you know, just kind of, you know, educate ourselves a lot more um, and, you know, look out for warning signs. And if we do see someone that we're concerned about, um, 
there are definitely some gentle ways of opening up that conversation and um, I know that you mentioned, yeah, the Butterfly Foundation up top, um, you know, places like the Butterfly Foundation and if you're based in Victoria, um, or, or I guess broadly speaking, has the internet, um, yeah. Eating Disorders Victoria also has some really great resources for this on yeah. the website and they can just sort of, you know, yeah, help you kind of figure out how to start that conversation and well if you're a little bit concerned about someone. No, that's epic. And I guess, like, um, as we wrap up for today, can you just, t- like, flag... What are some things we should maybe be looking out for ourselves, looking out for ourselves, to know that we might need to talk to someone? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I think um, you know it can be quite hard to spot in ourselves sometimes, um, especially when you know we're living in this diet culture kind of world, um, and just disordered eating can come in so many forms. But I guess broadly speaking, you know, there are some like thoughts and feelings and behaviours that might be able to clue us into something not being quite right, like you know. Are we thinking about food or exercise the body a lot? Or do we have rules about what we must and mustn't do? Do we find that like our self-worth or our confidence or just how we're feeling, like anxiety, guilt, fear, depression, stress, shame, self-criticism are really kind of related to those to those features? Um, do we actually engage in any behaviours to try and control our appearance, shape, weight, body size, food, exercise and I think really importantly too, like, are we missing out on other parts of our life, like, you know, rest or social or studies, hobbies, work, the ability to be spontaneous and kind of free and have joy, you know, because of things like food or exercise or appearance. And, of course, this isn't a complete list, but they can be important to look out for. And um, there's a really great online resource called Reach Out and Recover. Um, It's like an online screener that you can fill in anonymously and just sort of see, like, oh, do these things resonate with me if something's not quite right? And on top of that, like we said, Butterfly Foundation, Eating Disorder Victoria, chatting to a good CP. Yes. Great. And, um, you know, it can feel really scary doing these things. I think mm-hmm. even acknowledging, you know, that you might need some help is incredibly courageous. And yeah. you know, for anyone that is having some trouble with these things, with the right support, it absolutely can and does get better. 100%. Thank you so much, Laura, for joining us this morning and sharing your Thank wisdom you. and um, just like and like enlightening us on like how nuanced and complex this conversation is. Um, and for anyone that needs any extra support today, um, you can always reach out to the Butterfly Foundation on one eight hundred three three four six seven three. Thanks again, Laura. Awesome, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Bye. That was Laura speaking with Malika from Thursday Breakfast about the impacts of COVID uh, on eating disorders. Right now we're speaking with Randall Egan, who is a queer youth worker with the Youth Support and Advocacy Service. He's here to tell us about a pop-up clinic that's open from the 19th to 22nd of October at 100 Drummond Street, which will be a warm and welcoming space for people who might feel reluctant to engage with mainstream services, uh, including trans and gender diverse folk, people who identify as LGBTIQ+, and other vulnerable young people. Uh, this clinic has been established by CoHealth, Transgender Victoria, Drummond Street Services, and Youth Support and Advocacy Service. Welcome to 3CR, Randall. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Fong. Could you please start by uh, telling us a bit about yourself and your work? Sure. So I work for, as you said, Youth Support and Advocacy Service. Um, we're an organisation which works primarily with young people aged 10 to 25 who use alcohol and other substances. Uh, so we have a number of ways that we do that. We have outreach um, 
workers all across Victoria. We also have three residential detox facilities, one rehab and a number of other sort of youth um, youth organisation activities which happen throughout the state. So I've worked um, for YSAS for around two years, primarily at our Fitzroy Residential Detox Facility and also um, at our Abbotsford Day Program drop-in space. Thanks for that, Randall. So yesterday marked the beginning of a Rainbow Vaccination Week. Could you please tell us more about this initiative? Sure. So Rainbow Vaccination Week, also being called FabJab, is um, a wonderful initiative created by community health organisations. So some of the ones, like you said, Thorn Harbour, Drum Street Services, Co-Health, Transgender Victoria. Um, so that's really um, recognising that there's a need to have specific... Uh, weeks or vaccination centres which cater to community needs. So for the LGBTIQ plus community, um, there's a recognition that they may have sort of trepidation about going through some of the mainstream health services. So this is really an an initiative to address that and kind of um, meet some of the community needs specifically in, in these vaccination spaces. Yeah, for people who are unaware, could you tell us a bit more about why... Um, people in the LGBTIQ plus communities um, as well as other um, other vulnerable young people would um, have a lack of trust of these mainstream health services? Yeah, so I think like um, many people from marginalised communities, they may have had sort of negative experiences in the past engaging with um, mainstream health services. So I think there's a real recognition that community can respond to community needs. So, you know, um, it's all about creating sort of safe and inclusive spaces where um, workers, where other people there would, um, I guess, respond to the specific needs that a community might face. So, yeah, as as I sort of said, they they might have had negative experiences in the past. It's about having, you know, workers who can recognise the needs of LGBTIQ plus people, um, having safe workers, having a safe and inclusive space, just so that that, um, individuals can feel really comfortable to go and get vaccinated there. Definitely. And I think we've seen that, you know, um, happening for communities uh, from different cultural backgrounds, having um, their own uh, pop-up vaccination clinics for that exact same reason, um, being able to communicate clearly with healthcare workers and maybe air some of their concerns and, um, you know, be able to talk about their um, feelings towards the vaccine and, and the virus. So, yeah, it, it's it's great that this is happening. Um, so tell us a bit more about this pop-up vac clinic at 100 Drummond Street. Um, how will it work? Do people need to book an appointment? No, so it's a space where people can um, just rock up um, so uh, appointments are preferred and people can check out some of the, the different sites for FabJab at joy.org.au, but it is a walk-in space where anyone will be welcome um, to attend to get a vaccination. So today is sort of specifically um, a YSAS uh, run day. So um, that's we're going to have young people, lots of young people attending today and we've got some wonderful YSAS workers and our wonderful nurse, Tanya, who's going to be there to facilitate um, giving the vaccinations to young people. Um, and then through on 
Thursday and Friday this week. They're going to be um, specific LGBTIQ plus days at Drummond Street. So that's days when that community is encouraged to go and there'll be um, sort of workers who will be specifically responding to that need. But throughout the whole week, anyone is welcome to drop in to co-health at, uh, to, sorry, at Drummond Street to receive a vaccination. Awesome. Thank you for that, Randall. Um, we talked about this at the at the beginning of our show. We were each sort of uh, sharing our feelings about Melbourne lockdown ending on Thursday. Is there anything mm-hmm. that you, um, as a YSS worker, would like us to all consider as we approach this day? I think as a youth uh, alcohol and drug worker, I would love to sort of give like a few harm reduction tips, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I think like obviously there's going to be a time um, where everyone's celebrating and and the government's going to be reminding us of all the things that we need to do to keep each other safe. I guess from a kind of harm reduction um, standpoint, I would encourage people who perhaps are like smoking pipes or bongs with their friends um, just to, to give those paraphernalia are clean between each use just so that they're you know really um sterilized when they're sharing with friends um likewise if sort of drinking you know a shared um, bottle or receptacle just to try and get you know different cups and glasses just so that we are really keeping everyone covid safe while they're you know making the most of their their time reconnecting with each other awesome that those are some great tips and yeah i think especially now that we're allowed to go um to people's houses I think we do tend to um, just relax a bit and and forget um, to sure. do some of the things that will help keep us safe yeah um, and then lastly what is the importance of, of community health centers um, I mean they're especially, um, especially important during critical times like this but but more in general well I think like you would have a good understanding you know being on community radio the um, the sort of importance of community to engage with each other um, and sort of promote, you know, pro-social activities. So in, you know, in the detox where I'm working today, I've seen like a number of instances where we have young people who are really hesitant to get the vaccine. And when speaking with kind of a, a trusted youth worker or another young person who's staying in the detox facility who, who is keen to get vaccinated, that does put their mind at ease and they do feel comfortable to go and do that walking alongside someone else. Mm. I think it's just really about modelling um, those pro-social behaviours and just letting people know that they are safe um, with, you know, other people that they trust um, to go and and do these things which they have good reason to kind of feel hesitant about. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to consider. I think for many of us we have the privilege of... of um, you know, going to the doctor or going to a health centre um, and, and not really thinking about uh, the process of, of a consultation with a health health professional um, because we haven't had any, you know, negative experiences. So it's really good to, to think about that, um, that, you know, there are a lot of people in the community who uh, really do benefit from this support. And actually, in fact, I think all of us can, really. Um, yeah, uh, awesome. Uh, would you mind telling us one more time, Randall, where people can go to access information about the pop-up clinic? Yep. So one, uh, they can go to joy.org.au to find information about where the specific fab jab uh, clinics are. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll pop the website in our uh, show notes later this morning. Thank you so much, Randall, for joining us on 3CR this morning.
Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. So that was uh, Randall Egan, who is a queer youth worker with um, YSAS, speaking to us about uh, Rainbow Vaccination Week and the pop-up vax clinic uh, that will be held at 100 Drummond Street. Ninth Koori Art Show is calling for entries. This is your chance to showcase your work. All works entered will be exhibited at the Koori Heritage Trust. To enter, you must be a Victorian-based Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artist aged 17 years and older. There is a total prize pool of $32,000. Go online to kooriheritagetrust.com.au to register. Entries close on the 1st of November. Koori Heritage Trust is a 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We're going to go to a track now, and this is a song uh, by Jen Bello off her new album, uh, Genesis. Jen Bello is an independent singer and songwriter from New York City. Um, and I mean, the album is just a stunning combination of R&B with kind of poppy hooks. So if you're into your R&B and poppy hooks, uh, I definitely recommend giving it a listen. Um, but I'm very much obsessed with this song off her new album and it's called Done.
That was Jen Bello with Dunn of her new album, Genesis. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, Just catching up with some more news this week. Uh, Later this week on Thursday evening, Mama Alto of Transgender Victoria uh, will be answering some questions that people might have about vaccines, just in the the same context as Rainbow Vaccination Week too. Um, I know a lot of people have uh, questions about where they can go, where they might feel safe, um, and just, you know, talking about what their questions might have about vaccines in general. So she'll be uh, chatting... uh, Uh, with Dr. Anita Munoz on Joy Radio's Facebook page this coming Thursday. Uh, So watch out for that. That's awesome. Um, I think it's so important that, you know, we do have a community health focus. I think Randall made some excellent points before um, about the need for people to feel safe, especially during times like this. Um, Just a vaccine rollout update. So um, just looking at the front page of The Age this morning, so as we all know, the target is 70% uh, double vaccination. The entire country uh, is currently sitting on 68.33%. Wow. And That's vi- really impressive, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in, in Victoria, we are on 66.73%. Yeah. So nearly getting there. We're, like, you know, we're set to overtake um I think the UK very soon. Really? Yeah, because oh. the UK opened up with a much lower full vaccine, like mm. full vaccination rate. Um, they had like staggered sort of opening up, but it was still too early in the you know full vaccination stakes. So you know it, it, it actually does feel kind of it's a relief that it does seem worth it. <laughs> all the lockdowns, um, you know, even though the actual start of the rollout was bungled. But it looks was like... Was it ever? Yes, was it ever? We can't forget that. Um, but it looks like, you know, communities really gotten together and the drive to, you know, have 
vaccination clinics and have you know full availability for that has really uh, it's gone into overdrive which is great um the only thing now we just really have to focus on um the places where there are lower vaccinations like the northern territory um the state government has already talked about opening up again to other states but they have a very 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 low rate of full vaccination Mm. so that like you know we need to really focus on um these areas now too uh, Carnegie, uh, you have uh, something that you'd like to talk about, picturing Footscray. I know we've talked about it on the show just recently. Yeah, I just wanted to let all our listeners know that um, entries are still open for just under a week. They close on Monday, the 25th of October. And picturing Footscray, I just think, is such a good opportunity for everyone to get involved in um, this completely free and Open Entry Photography Prize, which celebrates the suburb of Footscray. Um, you can literally submit photos taken from your phone, from a film camera, from a digi, like DSLR. Um, you don't have to be a professional. And you can win $3,000. And taking pictures of the greatest suburb in the world. <laughs> yes, exactly right, Evie. So, yeah, definitely enter. We'll um, pop a link to the competition in our show notes later today. Fantastic. And for any uh, of our listeners who tuned in yesterday to Monday Breakfast, Jacob and I were uh, discussing, you know, the the Nationals' failure to agree on a climate position after meeting together in Canberra for, I think it was four hours. They couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't agree. Uh, they couldn't all agree on on um, cutting uh, emissions to net zero by. 2050, but it's been reported that um, today that Scott Morrison has told his colleagues that he will just go ahead um, with that call, uh, and yeah, it, he he said that it's going to be decided by federal co- uh, cabinet without legislation. Um, so uh, yeah, that's this that's ahead of the upcoming. Um, climate talks in Glasgow. Um, you know, we did talk about the fact that yesterday, um, you know, net zero by 2050 isn't even cutting it. Oh, it's it's so, <laughs> so much lower than even the bare minimum. Yeah. It, um, isn't it funny how, like, I think, like, millennials of a certain age, probably, like, around our age, um, probably would, like, remember back in the 2000s when, like, targets were, like, around 2020 because it was a cool-sounding year yes. and then, like, nothing's happened. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, it's interesting to, to read about all the, you know, the different countries who have, you know, perhaps, um, uh, I guess, um, are more ambitious with their with their um, targets. Uh, For example, Britain has committed to cut emissions 68% by 2030, while the US has set a goal to reduce emissions by 50%. Um, uh, Japan is targeting 46%, South Korea 40%, and the EU 55% um, by 2030. So, yeah, I think there is pressure on on Australia to um, really up their game, but... uh, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not feeling particularly optimistic. One thing I will say with that is that 
Uh, last week was the school strike for climate. Um, you know, thousands of kids around the country in every city, either virtually or physically standing up to demand, like, you know, that this isn't enough, we can't wait. Um, it, it, and for me, that is such a, it's such a powerful statement because um, I think it's one of those things where kids like politicians are forced to look at the the who is going to suffer the effects of climate change. Um, and I should point out that one of the demands um, from the kids was to have 100% renewable energy generation and exports by 2030 and no new coal, oil or gas projects. Um, they were very much like, you know, making the demands that mean that we're actually going to 100% renewable energy instead of just... Um, net zero by 2050, which is, you know, just kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, like it's it's nice to see that like <sighs> that we just can't rely on the promises of our elected representatives anymore. <laughs> you actually have to uh, like I, I think a lot of younger kids are realising, you know, that this is the future that we're sort of being given and we can't just rest on our laurels for it. We actually well, exactly. have to ask for more. They're not wrong, are they? No, of course not. Um, so yeah, like, and also like we should be supporting them in those demands, like really just radical demands. Absolutely. Well, we've got an exciting interview coming up, but we'll be back right after this. Across Australia and around the world, we've seen reactionary right-wing mobilisations around anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown and anti-public health demands. In response to this, the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism have launched the campaign Pro-Vax, Pro-Union, Anti-Fascist to combat the far right and to fight for public health, safety and social solidarity. Go to www.calf.melbourne to join the fight for the safety of workers in the community and against the far right. A 3CR supporter. So It's Not a Compliment is a grassroots organisation fighting for the rights of all individuals to enjoy public spaces free of the fear of harassment. They've recently launched a new campaign called Our Public Spaces, which asks community members to use a hashtag to share stories, experiences and other information related to street harassment. Um, This morning on the show, we have Anya Sarvanan, who is leading this campaign and is also a former Tuesday breakfast host. Welcome to the show, Anya. Hello, Tuesday breakfast. How is everyone? <laughs> Very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank is you it, for having me today. Is it exciting to be on the show as not the host? Yes, I have to say yes. Um, <laughs> only because I don't have to get up at six. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pressure is on for me personally because I feel like... Yeah. Um, Anyway, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, So as I mentioned, It's Not a Compliment is fighting for the rights for um, all individuals to enjoy public spaces free of the fear of harassment. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about It's Not a Compliment and how our public spaces came about as a campaign? Yeah, of course. Um, I think you've introduced uh, It's Not a Compliment, INAC for short, quite well. It's a grassroots volunteer-run organisation. We're fighting street harassment. What that means is we run projects, workshops and campaigns that break through the normalisation of street harassment and encourage communities to challenge the age-old norms that make this type of harm possible in the first place. 
Um, since about 2019, we've provided a space for people to share experiences of street harassment. We've run multiple campaigns, media outreach and bystander intervention training. Uh, we've raised awareness and created important conversations about street harassment. Um, today, I'm here to talk about our latest campaign called Our Public Spaces. Uh, this campaign launches on Thursday and runs for about a week. This will build on our recent work, including our research report that we did earlier this year to emphasise the diverse nature of harassment. I suppose, you know, the discourse and activism around street harassment often seem to suggest that it's a problem for cis women only. And we know that's not the case, right? Everyone experiences life differently and therefore, you know, everyone experiences street harassment differently. Uh, it affects people from a range of backgrounds, ethnicities, sexualities, gender identities, disabilities and more. So we want to centre communities often left out of the conversations about street harassment and listen to their lived experience to build solidarity and tackle this problem head on. So, yeah. Mm, there you go. Oh, and your, um, the report actually said that um, street harassment in Victoria was an 86.7% of respondents having experienced it, which is a really huge percentage. It is an alarming number, and it often seems to affect younger people, um, which is a, a great problem because people who experience street harassment at such a young age, if they don't get the right support, they might normalise that sort of behaviour and you know it creates a wider pattern of harm in their personal life. And this recent report actually shows us that it's, um, young girls were affected by it. However, we do want to acknowledge that the report doesn't really go too much into other identities and other intersections, mm. and that's what, what, what that's what we want to do in this campaign. Yeah, um, and so as we've seen all over the media, COVID-19 has had a sharp increase in sort of racist harassment. Um, this mm. must have also had a detrimental effect on minorities who've already reported being harassed in general in public spaces? Yeah, absolutely. There has been a sharp rise of racialized street harassment, especially amongst the um, members of the Asian community um, who've all been targeted unfairly over the last two years. And we've had a lot of stories come into our social media accounts talking about what people have experienced. And yeah, it's absolutely horrific. And I suppose, you know, a lot of people think about street harassment as something that happens all the time and therefore it's not that big a deal. Um, but that's not true. The stories that we see every day are heartbreaking and it talks a lot about how people don't feel safe in our streets anymore. Yeah, that's really that's a really interesting point that it's kind of normalised in a way and people just think that it's a part of life. Absolutely. And it's not. And we're here to tell you that it's not and we can do something about it. Yeah, and it shouldn't be. Um, I guess that's the whole point of the campaign is that public spaces need to be kind of reframed as safe, inclusive environments. Um, and you've said in this campaign that you aim to centre communities often left out of the conversations about street mm. harassment and listen to their lived experience to build solidar solidarity and tra tackle this problem head on. How will this mm. help in imagining sort of new ways of making public spaces safer? Yeah, so we're doing a couple of things um, over the course of this campaign. It runs from this Thursday to next Thursday, the 21st to 27th of October. And so throughout the week, what we're doing is um, we're showing a lot of content on our social media platforms, um, which have quite a big following about 
um, our findings from the report. So we'll be sharing statistics and um, also trying to highlight the stories of people from different intersections who are often not um, listened to or left out of these conversations. And we'll be also um, sharing a lot of information about support services. So a lot of people don't know where to go once they've experienced street harassment or who to talk to. So we'll be giving lots of information about that. Um, we're also hosting an open mic night on Sunday uh, from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. And performers are showcasing their art relating to the themes of power, community, respect and intersectionality. And we've chosen, um, we've had a lot of submissions come in and we've chosen a group that represents, um, I guess, the theme of uh, diversity and intersectionality. And they'll be sharing um, you know, their experiences in creative ways. Um, and we're also hosting a giveaway at some point um, during the campaign um, and generally just asking people to start conversations in their communities and send us you know, feedback, stories, um, get them involved in IMAC and, um, yeah, and just um, try to build some solidarity amongst uh, our members. Incredible. Um, and I think you were also encouraging sort of community members to use um, hashtags to share stories online as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the hashtag is um, hashtag our public spaces. Um, you know, whatever people want to share their stories or if they want to share pictures of them enjoying public spaces, you know, now that um, we're coming out of lockdown slowly, and that's great, and we'll be back on the streets. But I imagine that the problems that we were sheltered from, um, from street harassment, is going to go up again, and it might come out in different ways, especially you know, with the anti-lockdown sentiment and, you know, I'm already hearing about friends who are wearing masks being targeted on streets and, you know, all sorts of things are happening and they will continue to happen. So um, it wasn't planned, but I'm glad the campaign is uh, running at the same time that we're being uh, back on the street and hopefully that will encourage conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, with campaigns like this, one of the most important parts is building solidarity and I think it really goes a long way in making people feel less alone and kind of more able to speak up especially people who haven't been given the chance to speak up in the past. Yes absolutely and those are the type of people we always want to speak um, to so if you do follow us on social media or if you come across us and you want to be involved we're always very happy to talk to you and yeah get you involved in the campaign as well. Can you tell our listeners um, where they can follow you across um, socials and where they can go for a bit more information on the campaign? Uh, absolutely. Um, our website is called itsnotacompliment.org.au um, and there's lots of stuff on there um, about, you know, what harassment is, all sorts of resources and um, our research report is on there as well. We're on all the usual social media platforms um, as it's, it's Not a Compliment on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Um, and, yeah, come to the open mic night this Sunday. You know, talk to people who have the same sort of values and dreams and aspirations as you. And, um, yeah, we hope to see you there. Amazing. We will link to all of um, the above that Anya just mentioned in our show notes later today. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Anya. Thank you so much for having me. So that was Anya, um, who is a lead campaigner for the Our Public Spaces campaign run by It's Not a Compliment. And we'll be right back after this. Health for Profits is a campaign to oppose the Liberal Party's reckless drive to reopen, which threatens the health and safety of Australia's poor, working class and Indigenous communities. 
we demand an immediate return to a zero COVID elimination strategy before it's too late. Join us for online forums, activism, and campaigns. To find out more, follow Health Before Profits Vic on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Health Before Profits is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR. Uh, the time is 8.10am. We're now going to go to a track by Mianjin-based band Dancing Water. Their song is called White Noise and Dancing Water's music combines um, neo-soul and lo-fi with ancestral song lines. So here it is. So that was the song White Noise by Dancing Water. 
Possum Portraits is a non-profit bereavement care service supporting parents who have lost a baby to miscarriage, stillbirth and neonatal death. We provide families with hand-drawn, commemorative keepsake portraits of their baby free of charge. In support of our mission, we are hosting a community fundraising raffle. The prize draw will be held on November 6th. Prizes include a $300 Gorman online shop voucher, hampers, term memberships for kids' music and activity classes, and much more. To buy your raffle tickets, head to possumportraits.com.au forward slash events and win some great prizes while supporting an important cause. Possum Portraits is a 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast here on 3CR Community Radio. Keeping in line with our topic of vaccinations today, we've got a very special guest, Hana Asafuri, who runs the Moroccan Soup Bar uh, here in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Hana joins us this morning to talk about Sister Hub, which is a campaign to tackle faith-based misinformation and boost immunisation rates in the community. Uh, Moroccan Soup Bar is also hosting a pop-up COVID-19 vaccination clinic, uh, which is really exciting. So thank you so much for joining us, Hana. Oh, thank you. Good morning to you. <laughs> um, now more than ever, our community is important. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm so excited to talk about this because I think, you know, keeping things community-based and um, obviously is so important. Here at 3CR, we obviously know how important that is. But, mm. I mean, I don't think I've done your intro justice at all, Hana, considering how much of a Melbourne food institution Moroccan Soup Bar is, um, especially here in the north. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement with the Moroccan Soup Bar? The Moroccan Soup Bar was founded and is founded on two uh, strong foundations. One is uh, to circuit break the cycle of disadvantage and crisis at times facing women and offer real and meaningful and practical um, uh, methods of empowerment so that they can transition from whatever the disadvantage or crisis is to then championing the very causes that have left them at a disadvantage. And we do that through employment on the one hand and offering the best possible Moroccan vegetarian food, um, you know, to our communities in the hope that this as a vision of hospitality resonates with our community, that you can do both, that you can do social and community justice and hospitality and elevate the standard of both um, and offer that up to community. Um, so we've showcased that and we've been so lucky that the community has responded tenfold in not only having a massive appetite for, you know, the unconventional and the way in which women do business and service. And um, I've often said, you know, and this is not a competition, I have often said that men, when they come together, they build careers. Women come together and we build communities, um, just as a, <laughs> if one can generalise. Definitely. So our, our quest is, and whilst we began there, we then obviously began to speak to the societal issues. So we're mindful of not only the environmental causes and our impact on the environment, but also the societal issues around 
one of the foundational ones that we haven't got right yet is our responsibility to First Nations people. No matter our causes, and we all have many, and we're tussling with women and Islamophobia and uh, homophobia and all those issues, we are simultaneously benefactors of being on lands that have not been ceded, and we have a responsibility to that conversation. So we try to straddle both those spaces and try to invite our community to build with our diversity a better, more responsible local uh, community from the ground up. Definitely. It's such a great initiative. And I mean, you're, you're, no, absolutely. Um, And the food, oh my God, if people haven't been there, it's absolutely incredible. Um, Now you're on the show to discuss an incredible campaign called Sister Hub, which aims to help the community get vaccinated. Could you talk a bit about Sister Hub, uh, exactly what it is and why it started? Yes. So Sister Hub, again, is speaking to, (laughs) obviously, the issues that have arisen in this pandemic. So for the longest time, um, with a specific focus on women and Islamophobia, these aren't just concepts that we talk about in boardrooms, but these have practical uh, effect and almost always are acutely felt by women in the form of not only marginalisation, disadvantage, discrimination, but at times abuse on the streets, random. So women, uh, Muslim women in particular, when our discourse over the past more than two decades has amped up the conversation that somehow Islam is at odds with Western democracies, uh, Muslims are a threat to our civility, our way of life, to human rights, to social justice, all that sort of rhetoric has impact and consequence, which meant that uh, the communities became marginalised, disengaged and distrusting of government messaging. Fast forward to a pandemic when what we needed was clear messaging, um, there's absolutely no incentive or reason for communities that are on the margin to begin to trust governments all of a sudden and say, okay, now they really mean what they're saying. So, Because governments, whilst they did try um, in their messaging to uh, multiculturalism uh, to reach out in their health message, It was gender blind and it continues to be. Um, So almost always women are yet again at every endeavour left to to fend for themselves and try and find information and that became a massive source of disinformation. They became recipients of extraordinary disinformation campaigns that just began to circulate on their own platforms, Facebook, Instagram, that sort of stuff. And there was no way of circuit-breaking that. So we as Sister Hub, uh, a group of volunteers, professional, diverse Muslim women who uh, come from across different professions, whose, whose interest is and whose commitment is to human rights and social justice. That is our affiliation, not political parties, not leanings, but to create a more harmonious, better world. And with that, our expertise and lived experience in that space meant that we can speak in a relatable, trustworthy, faith-based, gender-relevant way to re-engaging Muslim women and, more broadly, our community so that we can get on with creating safer communities and environments. Sister Hub is there born 
to, to speak to issues of access, faith-based and gender-relatable way of not only messaging but delivering vaccination to uh, women in those communities who were disproportionately, sadly, not only reeling from uh, the virus ravaging those communities... Uh, but also disinformation <laughs> Definitely. to the same extent. Yeah. I mean, this is such a great campaign facilitating safe space, particularly for women from diverse backgrounds. Uh, could you tell us about what this campaign means to you and I guess Mor- the Moroccan soup bar and why, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but go into a bit more detail about why this is so important for the community at large. Well, we start from the premise that we're stronger as communities when we can not fear our differences but learn to invite them in and celebrate them. Um, And so when the most vulnerable and marginalised in our communities continues to be left behind, um, then we are the poorer for it. So as a responsible business, I I have found that, yes, we've moved from talking about environmental issues, whilst we still do, to pivoting now to talking about the pandemic and the crisis at hand. We try and speak to and respond to the issues that that we find ourselves having to navigate. Why it's important? Because we believe that when you lift and elevate women, the entirety of society will progress. We just will. And... We need to learn to have a different conversation when it comes to, um, I guess for us, it's not men versus women and the way in which this divisive conversation often unfolds. We invite men to see their own liberation in supporting and elevating women, and in particular, women on the margins of society. So... um, for the Moroccan soup bar, this is our bread and butter, so to speak, and part of the pun. This is what gives us currency and what we continue to offer up back to our community, that if we can build from the ground up the most diverse, responsible uh, communities, we will be solidified and we will be able to deal with whatever comes our way in the future. And we have to offer up a vision, I guess, that is also responsible, um, that can showcase that being responsible takes nothing away from us. It, in fact, enriches us. Um, so for the Moroccan super, and certainly for the time being, that our focus, whilst it has shifted to looking at vaccinations and looking at disinformation and how those that are sadly were already on the margins, how those experiences have been amplified in this crisis, we're trying to be that bridge uh, that that needs to be built in order to re-engage the margins so that, I know it sounds a bit like rhetoric, um, so that we can all begin to rebuild as a community. So we're using this crisis as an opportunity to yet again reinvent in the most unconventional of ways, reinvent hospitality, in a way that speaks to all these issues uh, whilst offering up and serving up the most amazing um, chickpea bag. And today's vaccination hub, so we're running one today, um, we're giving out free chickpea bake with every jab. So jab a bake, whatever oh my God. slogan you want. That's and, so... <laughs> How could you miss it? Way. It's our way yeah. of saying, 
Um, you know, as a community, it has been food as a platform that's engaged our communities. And food and hospitality is who we are and what we know how to do. You know, someone commented that, um, with respect, in Queensland, you know, they're, they're going to Bunnings and uh, you buy a sausage sizzle, sizzle and get a jab at the Moroccan Society. Oh, I so heard Melbourne. about that, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, yeah, absolutely, yes. We, we have and proudly uh, contributed in part to shaping, you know, the humanity of Melbourne, I Definitely, guess, definitely. Um, in and alongside hospitality. Yeah. yeah, and I think, um, I mean, you explained that incredibly well, but just, you know, f- from a minority um, community's perspective, looking at, I guess, state government making all these decisions and like, you know, when they probably haven't had their best interests in the past and then kind of having that bridge, as you talked about, which is the community, which is places like Moroccan Soup Bar to kind of help people, you know, get the message across, filter out all the misinformation. I think it's absolutely vital, especially in times of crisis like COVID. Um, Mm. Just so to really nail it into the, um, to our listeners. So where is the vaccination pop-up and it's happening today? Uh, From what time and can people just go down there? Is it um, just a walk-in? So there's two things. Uh, Sister Hub, which uh, is also running uh, on the 28th, 29th, a couple of vaccination hubs um, that speak, a li- and why it's a little bit different to today's one is that if you're not sure about getting the vaccine, just drop in, let's have a chat. And it gives you that opportunity to have a chat. And if you then want to have the jab, then you can. And if you then need a follow-up conversation, it's available. So that's what Sister Hub is doing on the 28th to 29th. And if you kind of go to their socials, you'll see where that is. I think it's in Hume, but then we're looking at high case uh, LGAs like Casey and other spaces. Um, at the Moroccan Super, today is a pop-up, but if you want to kind of call and just to make sure that you're not going to be a little bit delayed, I'm assuming you know, we're going to go broke because I'm going to give out so many chickpea bags <laughs> for free and we're going to run out of vaccines. But... Let's hope so. So it is a walk up between one thirty and four thirty is when the uh, the jabs are being delivered by the Department of Health, um, obviously, and you know the resting space or the fifteen minute observation space will be um, out the back, and we'll, I'm going to rush there and make some mint lemonade and have oh a chat God. with people it when they're there. Incredible, Hannah. I wish I got vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's get a third jab. Let's go. Yeah. Let- and look, look, to me, also the saddest part of all of this is we've we've built our life's work on community cohesion and yet we find ourselves um, being a bit divisive when it comes to vaccination and non-vaccination. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to be able to engage in that space without judgment as an invitation to say, look, let's move away from anti-vax, pro-vax and being divisive. This is an invitation for all of us to get out of this. And um, it is without judgment. We are inviting you to consider the reality beneath all the noise of it's vaccination or COVID. This is the reality. Everything else is noise. And we want to be able to, however inadequate, however problematic, I'm not a, you know, vax vigilante at all. Mm-hmm. We 
nobody had a choice in devastating our business, sacrificing so much. Definitely. Nobody. There were no choices to be had. Our only choice is how do we respond to this mess this insanity, and how do we build and maintain cohesion? For sure. Because that is our strength. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, I'm so sorry. We're quickly running out of time. Yes. But um, just to nail it through, so there's a vaccination pop-up happening at Morocco's, Moroccan Soup Bar this afternoon. There's free chickpea bake. Um, and I just want to say congratulations on such a great campaign with Sister Hub as well. Um, oh, I'm sure, yeah, with hospitality industry more broadly, there's it's been a tough couple years. So it's so great to see this. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. And please keep doing what you're doing because you are the heart of communities, these kind of radio platforms and community engagement platforms. Thank you so much. Thanks, Have Hannah. a good day. You too. See you soon. That was Hana Asafiri from Moroccan Soup Bar. We have just, the time has just escaped us. <laughs> we need to really get rolling onto the next show. But um, please listen back to the podcast if you've missed any of the earlier interviews. Uh, we had some really great ones earlier on in the show. Uh, but up next, as always, we've got Accent of Women. So tune in for that and have a great week. You're listening to 3CR. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop. Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.